Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast with the Lexington Herald-Leader and Kentucky.com, and we are previewing the Kentucky-Duke basketball game, which is Tuesday night at the United Center in Chicago as part of the Champions Classic. Uh, it's a much-anticipated uh, much game, on, especially on Kentucky's side. Uh, the game will be played on, uh, will be shown on ESPN, and my guest is Laura Keeley, who covers Duke basketball, who covers Duke athletics and Duke basketball for the Raleigh News and Observer. How are you doing today, Laura? Doing well, John. Thanks for uh, calling me up and letting me share some knowledge, hopefully. <laughs> well, good, good. We need all the knowledge we can get, and I know Kentucky fans are looking for all the knowledge they can get on uh, on the Blue Devils, the hated Blue Devils, as the uh, Kentucky fans like to think of them. But well, I know Duke, both teams have played two games. Kentucky won their first two pretty fairly easily. Uh, same thing for Duke. Uh, these are a lot different teams than the two teams we saw last year that both got to the Final Four. But what what did Duke look like in their first two games? You know, they looked well. Um, I mean, they looked good on paper. But one thing to note about uh, you know Duke's debut is afterwards, Mike Krzyzewski kept them in the locker room for a really long time. It was like they had lost or something. And then afterwards, you know, the, the upper class and Grace and Allen and Matt Jones were talking about just how they weren't really thrilled with the performance of the four new freshmen, uh, Derek Thornton, Brandon Ingram, Luke Kennard, and Chase Peter in that first game, just thought that they were getting too caught up in whether their shots were falling or not, and just not generally kind of playing the kind of, you know, talkative, connected, defensive-minded Duke basketball that Krzyzewski wanted. So it was a little surprising that maybe they were going to be so nitpicky from day one, but, you know, overall, if you looked at Duke's performance, you know, there, there were no red flags or anything like that. Yeah, no, I read in, in your stories and the other coverage about Duke that uh, it seemed like Coach K was happier with the with the uh, intensity and enthusiasm on Saturday night. Did that come from that? Uh, and I think I read in your story or one of the other stories about that they had a pretty intense uh, tape meeting, I guess, after that first game. Was it just the jitters on the part of the freshmen that first night? I think it was, you know, just the idea that, you know, it was their first major college game and Obviously, they have quite a lot to live up to. You know, they're probably unfairly going to be compared to last year's freshmen all all year. So, yeah, yeah, those were big shoes to fill. And, yeah, I think there was just a lot of kind of pregame jitters and nerves. And, you know, like Brandon Ingram was hard on, like, pretty much every shot he took. He was, uh, you know, bouncing them off the rim and the backboard right and left. So, I think they were just kind of a little unsettled. And, yeah, they uh, they woke up at – uh, early Saturday morning and at 10 a.m. had a pretty rough film critique session with Sushevsky uh, and the rest of the coaches, and then they immediately, you know, put it aside, switched locations, and went to work for uh, for Bryant. And they did look a lot better on Saturday night and just looked more comfortable out there. And now, of course, you know, the ante is about to get up significantly when they go play Kentucky on Tuesday. I know uh, Grayson Allen really kind of caught people's attention in the tournament last year with the way he played down the stretch, and it looks like he's gotten off to a fast start this year. He has, absolutely. And one of the main questions I had about this team coming into the year is who was going to be, you know, kind of their alpha male score, you know, when when the game was on the line and, you know, somebody needed to to go get a basket, who was going to do it? And it looks like it's going to be Grayson Allen. And, you know, both he and Brandon Ingram don't necessarily have the kind of lead wolf personalities per se, but Grayson certainly played like that on Friday and Saturday. And especially, I thought, Friday night, you know, he really was driving to the basket at will, was going in strong, you know, and he scored 26 and 28 points over those first two games. So he definitely looks like he's going to be 
kind of the go-to scoring guy for this team, and he's capable of doing it. So that was definitely a positive early development for Duke. And it looked like it looks like Matt Jones has gotten off to a good start. I know he apparently had a good game Saturday night. Uh, just just talk about his development. Yeah, you know, so Matt um, he tweaked his shot a little bit. He uh, now his feet are more parallel on his uh, three point shot, and he made I think five in the first half of uh, Saturday's game. Had scored 19 points, just two more than his career high uh, just in the first half against Bryant. And then he pretty much just rested in the second half. He's working his way back from a groin injury that kept him out uh, a few weeks ago. So, you know, that, that was just kind of a precautionary thing. But Matt Jones, you know, really the best thing he does for Duke uh, is defend and then just really make everybody else feel kind of much more comfortable on the court. You know, he's their guy on the perimeter that's talking, you know, trying to make everybody else better. And they're not, you know, probably going to need 19 points from him every half for the rest of the year, but they do kind of need his calming presence out there. And that's really what he brings to this team. Now, what, what about those freshmen? I know they've gotten a lot of publicity coming in, uh, replacing the guys that uh, Duke lost from last year. Um, I know it looked like uh, Ingram had a good game against Bryant. Uh, how have they looked in the first two the first two games? Yeah, and like like I said earlier, they're probably going to be really unfairly compared to uh, last year's class all year. You're just not going to see you know, guys like Okafor, Winslow, and Tyus Jones every year. And, and this this group certainly isn't them. But, like I said, I feel like that's like a one that's in a generation thing. But, you know, Brandon Ingram, I do think, is going to be, you know, kind of a matchup nightmare for most teams. It's it's six foot nine guard. You know, he can shoot over pretty much everyone on the perimeter. The challenge for him will be, you know, just because you can shoot over people doesn't mean those are shots that you should take. And it will also be interesting to see, how much Duke has to play him kind of as a stretch forward just because there really isn't a ton of front court depth on this team. But Brandon's going to play a lot for them. Derek Thornton is, uh, you know, the point guard who graduated from high school in three years to come early this year. And he's not quite ready to run the team full time at this point. So he's coming off the bench. But, you know, I do think that, you know, come January, he could be a little further along developmentally and could be out there more for them. And, you know, Luke Kennard is a guy that can really make outside shots, which is something this team's going to need to do. And then Chase Jeter is the um, the, the big man prospect who uh, will be coming off the bench this year. And, you know, I think the hope is for Duke that he's going to be able to give them enough quality minutes so they can spell Emil Jefferson and Marshall Plumley. But, you know, there is certainly a significant drop-off from uh, those two seniors to uh, Jeter when he goes in the game. You mentioned Luke Kennard. He's a kid that Kentucky went after pretty hard. I know they were pretty disappointed when they lost out on him to to Duke. Uh, and you mentioned he, you know, he's a good perimeter shooter. I guess he he didn't shoot the ball real well against Bryant, but I know that's what he's known for. What what kind of role do you think he'll end up having on this team? I think he'll definitely be in the eight man rotation that you know Duke pretty much runs every year. He'll be one of the first guys off the bench and somebody that can you know fill in any of the any of the perimeter slots, one through three, depending on how Duke wants to wants to play. One thing about Luke that will probably hold him back, at least initially, is just he doesn't appear to be as kind of up to speed defensively as Krzyzewski likes his players to be. So, you know, I think he's going to need to be hitting shots for him to really have, uh, you know, a ton of value to this team. But I absolutely think that he's going to stay in the eight-man rotation all year. 
And it it seems like that Emil Jefferson has been there forever. And there's always a family there at Duke. And <laughs> I know Jefferson, had, he's had like two double-doubles in the first two games. And uh, and Plumley, I guess, had like three blocks and eight rebounds la- or Saturday night. Um, it looks like those guys are going to be kind of the veteran core of this team. And they're going to play a ton of minutes, too, just because, you know, when it comes to Duke's front court depth, it's kind of cheater who's pretty raw at this point, and that's about it. And, you know, like I said, they're going to be forced to play Ingram some of the stretch forward just to kind of make up for that. But, yeah, that leaves a ton of minutes for Emil Jefferson and Marshall Plumlee to play. And, you know, both of those guys have kind of steadily improved every year. Emil Jefferson actually has gotten a ton stronger from last year to this year, and that should serve him well because he's going to need to play, you know, down there against bigger guys. And, you know, it's funny, Marshall, this is uh, technically his fifth year on the team because he redshirted his first year, but he, um, you know, he was talking during the preseason about, you know, just young guys needing to needing to slow down and, you know, just kind of not play so out of control. You know, Krzyzewski likes to tell them, you know, you're trying to run through a wall, but you should just take the door. And it was funny to hear Marshall say that because that was so him a few years ago. It was just so spastic out there and trying so hard and, you know, not – not actually being effective, but he has at this point in his career slowed down, matured. He's a really strong guy, and, and he's going to be someone that is going to play, you know, probably 30 minutes a game if uh, all goes according to plan. You mentioned earlier about, you know, this was kind of uh, last year that freshman class was, uh, you know, a very rare class, led him to the national championship or at least helped him to the national championship. This year you got a, another heralded group, but maybe not quite as heralded, or, or it's hard to think live up to the same expectations. What what are the expectations for this Duke team? What what does how does the fan base feel about this team um, as compared to last year's team starting out? You know, I, I don't. It, it's hard to say exactly what expectations are or what you know you're going to get. Obviously, at Duke every year the expectation or the hope is to win the national championship and. You know, this team is certainly talented enough to do so. And, you know, you look at college basketball and there's not really a, you know, a clear dominant team, at least, you know, from my point of view. So, you know, why not this group if the things go well? So I think I think people are cautiously optimistic that they can continue to develop as the year goes along. And then, you know, come March can be, you know, as tough a matchup as anybody. Um, and I think, I think that's pretty much where everyone is. It's kind of a wait-and-see thing. Obviously, they're talented, but... You know, there's a lot still kind of up in the air for how this team is going to come together. And it's been a few years, probably since Austin Rivers was at Duke, honestly, where, you know, there were kind of so many unknowns about how the team was going to play and who was going to lead uh, at the start of the year. So it'll be interesting. I think everyone's pretty interested to see how it shakes out. What, what is, in, in talking to Coach K, what, what, what do you think concerns him most about this team? Where is it going to have to uh, – what, what areas is it going to have to improve – to get to that point where they want to be at the end of the year? I think front court depth is most concerning. You know, the idea that you have, you know, kind of a, a three slash four man rotation down there, you know, playing Ingram out of position to get a fourth guy is definitely concerning. Uh, but that's kind of where Duke is right now. And there are two other scholarship big men who just don't appear to be anywhere close to cracking the rotation. So I think that would be kind of the concern uh, first and foremost. And, and secondly, just, you know, how quickly can the freshmen get up to speed? And then even, you know, even somebody like Grayson Allen, who is technically a veteran on this team, you know, it was his, the first start of his career uh, on Friday night, which speaks to how quickly things changed for him at the end of the year. 
But, you know, you, you kind of you miss that veteran savviness. I mean, Krzyzewski described a, a situation where, you know, Grayson drove on a, a, a Siena defender and he picked up his fourth foul and then they called the same play and the next time he takes a jump shot and the, the kid, you know, from Siena goes on to score 12 more points. It's, you know, just the little things like that that maybe a veteran team would kind of get but like a young team might miss, just little little things like that. So I think that's kind of, you know, I don't know if concern is the right word, but it's just kind of you hope that these guys are going to get up to speed and, and savvy and comfortable out there sooner rather than later. And I know, you know, obviously for Kentucky fans, going back to the the infamous or famous Leitner game, you know, the greatest college game ever played or whatever, Kentucky fans have a thing about Duke uh, dating back to that game, if not before that game. So whenever Kentucky plays Duke, I mean, there's a lot of hype leading up to that game. What what about on the Duke side of it? How do they view Kentucky? Is there the same sort of hype on the Duke side, or is it just for Duke it's another game against another good team? They're definitely excited to play Kentucky. Obviously, you know, whenever you do so, Kentucky brings a ton of fans, and it's, you know, it's a really kind of hostile road environment. And, and they're aware that this is going to be one of the most talented, honestly, if not the most talented team they play this year. So I think they're really excited for, uh, you know, for the challenge and for the competition. And I think the idea that it's Kentucky, uh, you know, and obviously these these guys uh, that have, you know, grown up playing together on the AAU circuit, the Duke first Kentucky thing has been has been going on for, you know, like you said, since Leitner. So I think everybody does have probably a little bit of extra juice for this game. And is there, I know it's hard to know. I mean, you know, Kentucky's basically a new team with a lot of freshmen. Uh, Duke is, you know, as we talked about, has a lot of freshmen. It's hard to know just, you know, this will just be the third game of the year for both teams. But in your mind, is there anything in particular that Duke needs to do well Tuesday night against Kentucky to, to have, uh, you know, to have a good shot to win the game? Yeah, I will be interested to see, you know, obviously Kentucky's going to be able to load up on, on stopping Grace now and if that's what they want to do. And, you know, if he if he's having trouble kind of getting the driving space to either get to the basket or kick out to open shooters, you know, if that's not there for Duke, then, then what happens, uh, I think, is something interesting. And, you know, can Ingram, you know, Kentucky's going to have length, obviously, to run at Ingram, but, you know, can he kind of be disciplined to take good shots, you know, not pass up good shots, but also not take bad shots just because, again, he's, you know, a six foot nine guard with a seven three wingspan and can shoot over people. So I just think like those two things in particular, you know, if what's Duke going to do if things get difficult offensively? Are they going to be able to kind of stay calm and cool and, and still play good defense or if shots aren't following, are they going to get a little bit rattled and is this thing going to get out of hand? Yeah, but it, it, it should be a great game. I'm looking forward to it. All right, tell the, um, tell the uh, listeners to this podcast how they can uh, see your work leading up to the game, both online and uh, on Twitter, uh, leading up to the game and then after the game. Sure. I'm uh, on Twitter. It's just my name, at Laura Keeley, L-A-U-R-A-K-E-E-L-E-Y. And then if you want to read any of the articles I write for the News and Observer, it's just newsobserver.com slash sports. Great, great. Well, I look forward to seeing you in Chicago on Tuesday. Should be a good one. Okay, thank you. Thanks. My next guest on the podcast is Jerry Tipton, who covers University of Kentucky basketball for the Lexington Herald-Leader and for Kentucky.com. How are you doing, Jerry? I'm doing well, John. That's good. That's good. We're getting ready to head up. We are taping this podcast on Monday. We're getting ready to head to Chicago Tuesday for the Kentucky uh, Duke game Tuesday night, 
as part of the uh, Champions Classic at the United Center in Chicago. And uh, Jerry, both teams, both Kentucky and Duke, have played two kind of tune-up games for this uh, Tuesday night showdown. How did you think Kentucky looked in uh, in their two games and their wins? Uh, they won Friday night uh, and Saturday night. How did you think they looked overall? Well, I think they did what you, what a good team is supposed to do in those games. Uh, you know, I think they uh, they looked good and they uh, were clearly better and looked better. And the interesting thing was how they did it in different ways. Uh, the three guards, there were times where the three-guard look was effective, and you could see how those guys are talented and are a weapon as a trio, individually, but also as a trio. And then there were times where uh, Kentucky uh, went with more power or at least tried to impose its will with the scale of this air. And he played that part. He, uh, Of course, this was against smaller teams. But the interesting thing was, was that he did it uh, without just simply relying on being a lot taller. He had, you could see skill there as well as height, especially uh, in the first game against Albany where uh, I think I had this right. He did it with either hand. Uh, he, he did it with his left hand. And, uh, and he also, of course, did it with his right hand. And he looks like, uh, as John Calipari has pointed out, he's not going to be uh, Shaquille O'Neal just overpowering people. He's going to be more like Jim Duncan, where his skill is going to make the difference. What about, yeah, and talking about him, I mean, he's, he's uh, you know, he didn't, I don't think he scored in the first half against Albany, but he but had a real good second half. And then apparently I was at the, unfortunately, I was at the football game on Saturday, the way that turned out, instead of the basketball game. But uh, the people that I, and I didn't get a chance to see the basketball game, but the people I talked to, they were really impressed with the way he played on, on Saturday night uh, and his yeah. skill. I mean, it's, it's just a situation where he just has a lot of natural ability and how much of a problem, I know Cal keeps talking about, you know, he wants him to fight more, uh, you know, as far as him, can he? is he a guy right now in his development that can be pushed around a little bit? Well, he's not the biggest, bulkiest guy, as you know, but uh, it seems, I'm wondering if he needs to be prodded, he needs to be uh, uh, pushed to uh, impose his will. And I mean that in terms of, maybe being a little too nice rather than anything right. else because in both uh, in the, I think in the second half of one of the games where he uh, just became dominant, uh, everybody said that it was a halftime uh, talk by uh, Cal that kind of stoked his fire and got him going. And then in the last game, I remember him saying that it was before the game that John Calipari told him, you know, we're going to you and kind of putting the onus on him. And, uh, and of course, both times he responded big time. So, you know, so it sounds like, you know, he just needs to be uh, thrust into, into the position of doing it, and then he can do it. Of course, the important thing is, is he can do it. But uh, it sounds like at least at this very, very, very early stage, he needs to have the onus put on him. It sounds like, too, and we talked to uh, Laura Keeley of the Raleigh News and Observer who gave us a scouting report on Duke, and she talked about Duke's guards with uh, Grayson Allen and Matt Jones and the way they played 
in their first couple of games. And as you mentioned, Kentucky, especially in that first game, the three guards, and I, from everything I read and saw, Isaiah Briscoe came in and, and made a con- good contribution in the second game. How much of this game Tuesday night is going to be a guards game, guards against well, good guards? Good guards. Well, I think uh, I think it is definitely that. I mean, I think both teams have good guards, but I think both teams have good big guys also. I mean, I think it's more of a – it's just sort of like playtime is over, and now it's time to really, you know, now we really – I know every game the coaches talk about learning, and I suppose they learn, but it's really in any game. But this is really, you know, this is a, not a final exam. That's that's overstating it. But this is, a you know, a serious exam. This is going to be a, a time where we're going to really find out something. And uh, it doesn't mean that uh, that's the end of it, of course, that both teams can learn and adjust and and progress from here. But this is, I think, at this stage is going to give us a real clear look at uh, just how good players are and how well they're playing together. Uh, I, I remember that game with uh, Julius Randle a couple of years ago where I believe it was Michigan State they played. And in the second half, they really went to him. It was kind of like the scal thing, and he just he just dominated. And you knew right then that hey, this guy is for real. <laughs> this guy is really good. And I think uh, I think we're going to see. You know, we're going to learn that perhaps, or we're going to learn somebody's not for real. Right now, it doesn't mean they won't. If that happens, it doesn't mean they're not for real in March and April. But but we're going to find out who's who, as John Calipari said on Monday, when when this game is played. What about Jamal Murray? Is he for real? I mean, the Albany coach said that he's the best, or will be the by the end of the year, the best basketball player uh, in the country, the best basketball player. How, how do you think he's looked so far in the first two games? Well, he's done a lot. He's done a lot of things. He hasn't shot particularly well, or as well as I think they uh, expect him to over the long haul. But but he's done a lot of things. He's a good ball handler, good decision maker, good uh, good passer. Uh, I think uh, just reading between the lines, I get the idea that Cal thinks that he's uh, coasting a little bit. I think once somebody, it might have actually. I think it was the uh, I think it was the Albany coach that said he uh, he put it on cruise control, and and I think the Albany coach was trying to be complimentary that. Uh, you know, the guy was really uh, very productive in a lot of ways while on cruise control, but I don't think Cal uh, was happy with uh, anybody being on cruise control, <laughs> knowing right. what's ahead. He's turned the ball over some, and Cal's questioned that as far as being a little too casual with the ball. But, uh, again, it's mid mid-November. There's plenty of time for all of that to be worked out, and maybe uh, – uh, against Duke, uh, he'll it'll, he'll get like slapped in the face, and it'll it'll be kind of a reality check for him. Get his attention. Yeah, I yeah. thought uh, I thought Derek Willis uh, was uh, he kind of uh, put into words what I think Cal was saying about uh, you know these guys are all very good and they're used to uh, the freshmen now, and they're used to just sort of uh, you know being the best player. And it takes, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a reality check to uh, kind of kick them into a higher gear when they when they kind of fully realize the uh, caliber of the competition. Right. 
Wait, now, what about Derek Willis? Now, obviously, you know, in the game that I saw, the game uh, against Albany on Friday night, uh, he played really well, made a good contribution. How did he play Saturday? And do you think, is Derek Willis going to be a factor all year long, or are we just, is he going to, when the season gets and Cal starts whittling down his rotation, he's kind of going to fade into the, uh, uh, fade a little bit and not be in the spotlight? What, what do you see the future for uh, Derek Willis on this team holding? Well, I think that's, uh, you know, one of the things that'll be uh, intriguing about the game against Duke. We might get a we got get a, we might get a something of an answer on that at least at this early stage. We'll see how he does. I know in the first two games and in, in the preseason he's he's looked a lot more confident out there. He looks like he thinks he should be out there. And uh, there were a couple of plays in the uh, New Jersey Institute game where uh, he blocked shots, he blocked a three, uh, and then he blocked a drive to the basket and then got out in transition and finished the break by making threes. And the point I guess I'm trying to make is that he showed a versatility there at both ends of the court. And, uh, you know, I think that said something about his uh, comfort level, about the potential that he's got. Now, you know, we're going to see if, uh, you know, what that, uh, if he can do that against a very good team like Duke, uh, I know. I noticed too that he started the second game. He started against New Jersey, and uh, but they didn't really get going until uh, he had some trouble guarding on the perimeter, and uh, they uh, brought in Briscoe, and uh, and that sort of settled Kentucky down some, and uh, and they did better. But then uh, Derek uh, came in in the second half and had a really big second half. That's where he blocked those shots and finished the break with the threes and. Uh, so, you know, that's probably a good sign that he, even though he didn't have as good a first half as maybe he wanted, he didn't let that bother him, and he came out and played well in the second half. And, Jerry, what about tomorrow night when we're covering the game when we're in Chicago? Uh, what are you going to be looking for? Is there anything in particular that, you know, when the game gets going and starts that's, that's, that you're interested in seeing with these two teams matching up, is there a particular area that you're going to be interested to see, uh, you know, how Kentucky does or how Duke does? Well, my main focus will be on uh, hoping that I adjust to the new computer system that we have <laughs> at the newspaper. That's going to be first and foremost. Uh, you're always thinking end. about yourself, Jerry. You're yes, always thinking about yourself. Then moving on to less important things, I'll be watching the uh, game with Kentucky and Duke. And I think it's more about just both teams. I think it's more for me, just more about just seeing, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to see uh, a game where one team is just clearly dominant and uh, that's, that's fine. But uh, this is where you, you know, it's sort of, uh, it's the main event. You're stepping into the, uh, into the ring and, uh, this is where you kind of it's more uh, it's more interesting and I think more revealing to just see who, who's good, who needs to work on whatever it is. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is that's what I'm going to be watching. And I think that's what we learn in these games. Like last year when the, when they just uh, humiliated Kansas and then humiliated UCLA, I think that was the order of the humiliations. Right. Yes, then you uh, then you really then you, at least I really believed, hey, these guys can do something historic. That is within the realm of possibility. 
and I think tomorrow night we'll get a sense of, you know, Cal's talked about how these guys, uh, there's going to be some ugly moments early. Well, tomorrow, uh, I mean, uh, against Duke, that might be when these ugly moments happen. We'll have to see. But if they don't happen, then I think you get that feeling of, you know, hey, these guys are really good. And this, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. One last question. This is Duke. This is Kentucky Duke. We've been around. We were around for that. We were both at that Christian Leitner game. We've been. We were at uh, St. Pete for that for the Kentucky comeback game. The, where does this is this Kentucky Duke game because it's so early and the team's so new? Is it any different than those? Ga- I mean, obviously the stakes aren't as high, but it's still Duke. Uh, is this game any different than the others? Well, yeah. I mean, it's not. You know, like you said, the stakes aren't as high, so it's not. Uh, it's not relatively speaking, not as compelling. But I think, uh, you know, I I think it's the best rivalry that Kentucky has. Uh, unfortunately, they don't play every year, but maybe that makes it better, the right. fact that they don't play every year. So it's not, uh, doesn't get any sense of being routine. Like I think Louisville has become to a degree. Right. You know, it was much more special very early on when, you know, it's almost startling to see Kentucky and Louisville on the same court. And I think Duke and Kentucky has some of that, I think for me at least, where it's just like, you know, these two uh, uh, philosophies, these two uh, uh, systems are meeting and clashing. And uh, so, so I, yeah, I, I think it's the best rivalry that Kentucky has. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I know you are too, and I know uh, now, Jerry. Of course, you can. Everybody can listening to this podcast can read our coverage on Kentucky.com, and in the print edition of the Lexington Leader, and they can follow you on Twitter. How? Uh, gee, what is it? It's some sort of hashtag, Jerry Tipton. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, Kentucky. just at Jerry Tipton. I believe, isn't it? Yeah, at Jerry Tipton. Oh, at Jerry Tipton. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go. That's you. That's you. <laughs> That's that's just a pale imitation of me. No, that's the real you. That's the real you. (laughs) Only on occasion. Well, thanks, Jerry. I appreciate you being on the podcast, and uh, we'll we'll um, we'll, I'm looking forward to the game on Tuesday. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thank. Okay, that concludes this podcast, previewing Tuesday night's Champions Classic game between Kentucky and Duke at the United Center. I want to thank my guests, Laura Keeley of the Raleigh News and Observer and Jerry Tipton of the Lexington Herald Leader. Remember, you can read the coverage of the Kentucky-Duke game at Kentucky.com and in the print edition of the Lexington Herald Leader. You can check out my live blog from the game Tuesday night on Kentucky.com. And as for the podcast, you, the podcast is available on SoundCloud. You can also subscribe to these podcasts on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.